0: guys and welcome to the get live podcast and you're like oh vish this is a bit weird weekly episodes you're not really used to it i know i'm not used to it as well but we're working really hard getting those episodes out and editing last week we had ryan brown from numbskull games uh, to talk about the awesome library that they have and in terms of their publishing and stuff so this week we've got matt sainsbury from digitally downloaded.net i'm surprised you let me back on <laughs> i'm surprised too but people actually quite liked you <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I think I enjoy the, the conversation as well. So,
1: Well, it's great to be back on. Um, thank you. Thank you for the invite. I really appreciate having a chat with you. It's always good fun.
0: So just so you guys know, because of the weird time difference, Matt is in Australia, so it's like 10, 10 o'clock at night for Matt.
1: 10.15 on a Friday night, and I am, yeah, I'm, I'm well into the wine, so we're going to have a wild podcast,
0: I think. <laughs> we're going to have a, a wild time. Get your lagers ready. Get your points ready, lads. Today, what we're going to be talking about, before we get into the discussion, but I'll just give you a brief summary of what we're going to be doing we're going to be talking about next generation of consoles as well as what we've been playing recently during the quarantine and we're going to give our suggestions for what games we think might be coming specifically koei games for the ps5 before we do that i just want to thank our sponsors japan crate crunchyroll jlist and that's all of the sponsors i was hoping for another one but you know what beggars can't be choosers <laughs> Yeah, what have you been playing recently, Matt? Obviously, I imagine you would be playing quite a lot.
1: Yes, I have actually. Um, Are we talking about stuff I've done for review? Because there's been too much of that stuff, and most of it has been crap since
0: since Final Fantasy VII. I mean, stuff that you've been enjoying yourself, really.
1: Okay, so firstly, this is going to be very Australian-only, so everybody will tune out right now when I say it. But I have been playing AFL Evolution 2, which is a sports ball about the great sport of AFL, which is Australian rules football, not any of the other AFLs that might be around the world.
0: What is AFL?
1: Okay, so it's basically aerial ping-pong. <laughs> if you imagine football, that basically they kick the ball back and forth and they're always trying to catch it on the full, and if you catch it on the full, you get a free kick, and it's you know you got to progress to... It's a very big feat. It's much bigger than a regular kind of rugby field. So, yeah, it's... So
0: when you mean football, you mean like American football or you mean like soccer or like... because. Football, I just think soccer.
1: It's its own kind of football, really. It's not like a- uh, American football. It's not like soccer. It's not like rugby. It's really its own thing, and you really need to YouTube it up. Anyway, they've released a game, basically, for the only for the Australian market, because it's only Australians that play this thing. And while it's a very budget sports game, I like my AFL, and all the AFL seasons of here have been cancelled for the year, so it's really kind of my fix. So that's what I've been playing for fun. The other thing i got was a uh, recently picked up a BitBoy Pocket Go, which is uh, a little Okay. little emulation handheld console i love my retro games and been catching up on some old ones i was actually inspired to start playing final fantasy 5 again after you know plowing through the remake of final fantasy 7 because no one really talks about final fantasy 5 no one really remembers it being <laughs> being there so yeah i've been playing that through again it's actually one of my favorites and yeah that's been a bit of nostalgia for me so good game if you've never had a chance to play final fantasy 5 do so just don't play the the pc version because they've got they've done that weird thing with the sprites where they've modernized them and it's all all ugly and stuff if you
0: can try and track down the gba version or the super nintendo version to be honest with you i don't really play final fantasy i know that sounds so sacrilegious because everyone is (laughs) talking about seven remake and i'm like well the last one i played was 13 and i rage quit that game it's the only game that i rage quit i couldn't even get past the second disc on the xbox and i was just like what is this game this game is so (laughs) stupid to be honest with you, it's probably gotten a lot better and a lot of people will be like, No, 13 wasn't the best game, why are you playing that one? But that was the one that I managed to play way back when and I didn't enjoy it. I did play Final Fantasy 3 on the NES like a long time ago and that was in Japanese so I didn't understand any of it. But, <laughs> I don't know, it was just like, when I see Seven Remake, I'm like yeah should i play this especially considering that it's not the full game am i right in saying that it's yeah 15 like percent of the whole story or something so i don't want to get invested <laughs>
1: it's it's going to be basic i w- i think it's going to be like a three game kind of release but that section which in the original final fantasy 7 lasts for about three or four hours you can plow through it and get through it in three or four hours what they've done with this remake is expand that out to 30 plus hours. So it is a full-length, oh, wow, okay. yeah, it is it is a full-length game in its own right, and it is kind of self-contained. It ends on a cliffhanger, obviously. But if you were to think like you know the Lord of the Rings films, they always ended on a cliffhanger as well, and you kind of you know you you are keen to come back to the next year to see the next one. So yeah, I, I highly recommend it. It's weird. I really did not enjoy Final Fantasy VII originally. I am one of the biggest fans of Final Fantasy out there that you'll find, but for whatever reason, I'm the one fan that Final Fantasy VII didn't click with and I was really apprehensive about playing this remake because I had to review it and I didn't really want to plow 30 hours into something that I wasn't going to enjoy very much. But then I started to play it and it's it's so good. <laughs> it, it's just so, it, it blew my
0: mind. So what's so good about it? Like, I don't know, I don't see the appeal of it because for me, like, turn-based RPGs seem so boring. That's why I don't like, like, the Atelier series and stuff. Well, this one's Sorry, not... Nathan, but you know <laughs> what I mean.
1: This one's not turn-based. This one's more an active kind of combat system. Uh, it has oh, okay. a, It has a rhythm like a turn-based thing but it never feels like turn-based it's much more energetic it's much more vibrant uh, and they've done a really good job with the combat system that was one of the things I was most concerned with and uh, they haven't disappointed me there but in terms of what it does really well it takes it, it takes such a small section of Final Fantasy 7 and expands on it in such a way that's really believable so that the two games become really complementary. I went back to the original Final Fantasy 7 after playing the remake just to play through that section that opening chapter again and I enjoyed it so much more this time around because I just had all this extra story and uh, character and and nuance to kind of read into the, the base game as well so yeah it's got amazing characters obviously the presentation is you know top-notch this is this is one of the best looking games I've ever played in my life I w- was a full convert I really was very apprehensive I even kind of avoided dodge to go into the um, <laughs> going to a preview session and was very irresponsible with my journalism but I had to travel like an hour to get there and I just wasn't interested but then I actually started to play this thing and I just yeah, it, it just completely blew me blew me away I played about about 20 hours across two days which i just don't do with a game anymore i just i have too many other things to do but i put everything else aside just to play this thing it's that good
0: i'm afraid to pick it up because you said this is going to be probably like a three or four part a game and the next generations of consoles is coming so i don't understand i know this game has been delayed so many times and it's been promised since a long time ago and it's been a long time coming but it's like why release this on the ps4 you know, next generation is coming out. It's like, you're going to have one game on one one console and then the other two on the other, or you're going to put it all on PS4, or you're going to remake it again for the PS5. It's like, I don't see it working like that in terms of releases.
1: Well, I guess, I guess we'll talk about that, you know, when we're talking about what we expect from the next generation later on in the podcast, but... I, just as a, I guess a spoiler to what I'll say in that section, I don't expect there to be that much of a jump with the PlayStation 5. I don't think there's that much they can actually do to it, and they've already promised backwards compatibility anyway. So I think that the, in terms of the quality of this thing, Final Fantasy VII Remake is that far advanced that even if they don't do anything with the new generation of you know hardware that's available to them, it's still going to be one of the best-looking games because there's just no way you can outspend to get a game to look better in the near term on the next generation of consoles, so yeah, it's it, it is that kind of advanced. When you actually sit down to play it, um, you don't even feel like it's um, what's it? It's built in Unreal Engine, but it doesn't feel like an Unreal game by any means. It it there's just nothing about it that feels artificial. It just feels. Like, it's Square Enix has poured all of their resources into this thing. So, the next two games, I'm actually not concerned, even if they are, you know, dual releases on PS4 and PS5, and they haven't done anything to the PS5 one to update it. Uh, I, I still think it's going to be better looking than pretty much anything out there.
0: But fair enough. That kind of makes sense. But I, I just don't know. It's just like. I don't like the idea of buying a game twice. Like, even we get games like Persona, you know, five and Persona five Royal, and it's just like, I don't see the point of buying this game a second time. It's basically like an expansion game, kind of like um, you got Warriors Orochi four and Warriors Orochi four ultimate. Like, I like what Koei did. They don't need you to buy the game again, you could just buy the expansion um, for a lot less as opposed to just buying the game again because it's on a new console. Like, we, I feel like I had enough of that on the previous generations of consoles. Like, you know, a lot of the PlayStation 3, you know, games came over to PS4, you know, Last of Us and, you know, all these other games. So it's just, it felt a bit awkward. I don't want that to happen in the next generation. Um, But in regards to what I've been playing recently, it's mostly been on the Switch. So I've been playing Animal Crossing, as you can imagine. That game has been taking a lot of my time. But there's some other gems that I've, I've found. Well, I'm technically I'm gonna be reviewing this game called The Fox Awaits Me. It's like a visual novel, but it's so beautiful. It's actually really beautiful. I don't know. It's that about that VN
1: it. that's like seventy bucks. <laughs> in Australia, in, in australian money is that the one it's just released like the other day today it just released yeah and it has
0: like fox girls and stuff i don't know the price of it
1: 70 bucks in australia that's a premium price visual novel that is it looks like it's worth it but yeah that's a that's a costly one yeah
0: the funny thing is that the the team that made the game is very small because the guy that i spoke to that gave me the code he's actually the the, pro- the game's producer and i didn't know that until i saw the credits of the game and i was just like shit man this guy i've been talking to him so casually thinking he's like a pr manager or something and and he's like the producer of the game. But no, the game looks to be honest with you, 70 bucks. I think it's it's worth it. It's there's something about it, the way that it looks And the fact that you know it's like it's like live two D right so like it's an anime girl that's like moving and shit and as opposed to like normal transitions in visual novels where it's just it kind of feels a bit clunky like you actually see her smile and you see her blink and you see it's a bit weird but the thing that's most impressive for me is the language options and I know that sounds really dumb I'm mainly focused on the audio because the game is fully voiced in Japanese and in Korean. and i thought that was a bit odd so because i've never really experienced a game in korean before and i think that's beautiful i know a lot of developers for the asian markets do localization for for the koreans i know kobe tecmo specifically i remember with the uh, dynasty warriors games right or dynasty warriors they used to make korean versions of the game fully voiced and everything and obviously we don't get that in europe for whatever reason i get it but it's kind of cool to see that especially when you're playing with English. It it seemed a bit weird because I can understand the Japanese a lot more. Like when you switch over back to Japanese, I understood what they were saying. But the Korean, just it it just made it feel like a drama. It made it feel like, but it makes it feel like a Korean drama. You know, like the historical type dramas that you might find on Netflix and whatever. But I kind of like that. So this game, yeah, 70 bucks, go and buy it. I think it's good. (laughs) I I know it sounds really bad for me to just say, oh, you know, spend 70 bucks on a game during this time, but it's worth it. If you really like visual novels, I think you'll enjoy this game. That's pretty much all I've been playing. I know it sounds really shit. The fact that are just two games. I do want to say another one is Call of Duty. I, 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 it's a shame for me to say that, but during this quarantine, there's not much to do. And it's just like, mm. I don't want to think about it. I want to listen to a podcast and play Call of Duty or like send an email and play Call of Duty. Don't ask how I can do those two things at the same time, but it's something about it. It's like one of those games where you just shut your brain off and you just play. That's just my opinion on that.
1: <laughs> best, best not to ask me
0: my opinions on Call of Duty. Well, I mean, it's it's, it's like Marmite. You guys have Marmite, right? Or you have Vegemite? Yeah, right? yeah, it? we have all of that stuff. But yeah, no, I
1: have, I have long and complex thoughts about Call of Duty, but maybe not worth going into with this podcast. <laughs> Because it's not entirely unpleasant, and uh, I don't want to piss off every one one of your Call of Duty fans with.
0: You know what? I don't think there's any Call of Duty fans listening to this podcast. If there if there is, please message me on Twitter and be like, "I love Call of Duty." I want to hear it. (laughs) So I think that is a good place for an ad break. So see you after the break. Let's talk about Japan Crate because they are sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Remember, if you're interested, go to www.getalifepodcast.com forward slash Japan Crate. That should redirect you to the Japan Crate website. It does help us out as well, so make sure you go and check them out. Let me talk about it. Let me tell you what it's all about. Japan Crate is this wonderful box that you get every month filled with Japanese sweets and goodies, crisps, chocolates... Candy. Drinks. Everything. And stuff that you might not even expect, like a couple of times we've been getting bags of kit kats, Japanese kit kats, that have exclusive flavors. So we've had sweet potato, we've had ojicha, we've had a lot of crazy flavors that you only get in Japan. That's stuff that you're not gonna get outside of Japan. And I know what you're saying, well I could just buy Kit Kats from my local Japanese supermarket. You're wrong, okay? Because they don't have the flavors that Japan Crate has, because Japan Crate has the regional flavors that you're not gonna find outside of Japan. They're going here and there and everywhere to get those for you. Also, if you're buying from your local supermarket, It's going to be expensive, and I've often found that you're paying 15 to 20 pounds for a bag of Kit Kats imported directly from Japan. You could be paying 30 pounds a month and getting a lot more. Most of the times when they do include Kit Kats in the Japan crate, I feel that you're getting a lot more value. They don't need to put that in there. They're putting that in there. They're putting in exclusive drinks. We've had stuff like Japanese Pepsi. Crazy J Cola from Japan. We've had Hokkaido Melon Soda, which is made from these special red melons in Japan that are really expensive. They're like thousands of dollars to buy these melons. Fan Crate is including drinks with those melons in the crate. So it's really good value. And you get to experience some new things. I personally love it, as you guys can tell, we're going to include it more in other episodes of the podcast, in particularly Umai, so go check Umai out as well because we'll be doing taste tests there and things like that. Go to getlifepodcast.com forward slash japan crate, use the code GALP for $3 off your first japan crate. Believe me, you guys are going to love it, you're going to be subscribed to it for the rest of your lives because it's top notch. We often give them as gifts to our friends that we record with. So we gave some to Koei, we gave some to Marvellous. You know why? Because we love them. And we thought, what better way to give it, someone a gift than the Japan crate? You can give it as a gift for a birthday. Someone's going to enjoy that. I've not met someone who hasn't liked the snacks in Japan crate. And they're weird and they're quirky and they're really nice. You get like exclusive Cheetos and stuff. It's insane. The amount of value that you're getting, $35, is nothing for the amount of candy that you're getting directly imported from Japan. Getlifepodcast.com forward slash Japan Crate. Do the right thing, guys. Buy it. And actually show me on Twitter you opening your Japan Crate. I would love to see that. And hopefully, we'll get giveaways coming up soon. We're in the process of redoing that. So go and check them out. You support the podcast when you do. Love you guys. And we are back with Matthew Sainsbury. Matt, what were we going to talk about next? I almost forgot.
1: PlayStation, right? No, 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 Xbox, I guess. PlayStation PlayStation,
0: 5 and the Xbox Series X. There is a lot of information on it. Not so much on the PS5. We've got some specs information. The only console next gen that we've seen in full is the Series X. And I really want to get into that more so because we have more information on it. What do you think about it? Because I know a lot of people on Twitter and on Reddit are memeing and they're saying, oh, this looks like a fridge, this looks like a PC, this looks like this. It looks like that. So what do you think about the design of the console?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Microsoft has, for quite a few years now, slowly slowly pushed towards merging, I guess, its PC stuff and its Xbox business. Uh I mean, I used to do a lot of business tech journalism and uh, you, you'd go along to the Microsoft kind of business conferences and they'd be talking up very much about their kind of future vision of the company and it was was very much about not having these kind of consumer devices <laughs> that are that are kind of sitting there as, as their own little thing. So I, I think that you know, between what Microsoft's doing with Windows and this Xbox, this is probably, I, I want to maybe put my Oracle's hat on and say this is probably the last generation of dedicated Xbox we'll get. I think going forwards, there'll be some kind of, like, PC hybrid thing. You'll still be able to stick it under your TV and still effectively work like a like a console, but, um, you know, as a console as we know it, they, they won't exist. You'll, you'll be able to do,
0: you know, your Excel spreadsheets on your TV as well, if you're that way inclined. <laughs> See, I think that's a very interesting point, because at least currently if i'm not mistaken for the uh, for the xbox 1 and even with the xbox series x it's running windows 10 in the background there is
1: something to build upon from that kind of makes no sense for microsoft to have de- you know two separate operating systems does it i mean if you if you were to have them both kind of you know pc's and xbox running off windows it just becomes much easier for developers to work on the things and make it easier to kind of port across both pc and xbox and it's just good for microsoft in general to do that so of course that's was always going to be what they do. So yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all.
0: It makes sense already considering now that, you know, you buy a game on Xbox, you, let's say you buy Gears of War and you already got it on the PC. It's stuff like that that makes me think, wow, Microsoft are making big strides. You know what? I'm a Sony fanboy. I, I like to say that. But at the same time, Microsoft, they're doing some big things. Even with the Series X, straight away, when I saw it, I was like, okay, that's basically a PC case, but they've only designed it that way for for thermal intake, you know, to make sure that the, the console doesn't overheat to fit everything in properly without it being crammed because I saw a video recently basically it was the engineers they were taking it apart they had it like magnetized so they can show people at like uh, conventions and stuff so they can put together their own Xbox Series X or whatever and the way that the things just fit together it just felt right and i know a lot of people are joking about it on twitter and a lot of people are like oh this looks so ugly but to me it just makes sense from a design perspective well there's a method behind the madness that's where i see it from there and i think the controller to be honest with you is not really that impressive it just looks the same if it's not broken there's no need to fix it. That's the way I see it. One thing that is very interesting to me is the proprietary memory card things. I'm not sure if you know about that.
1: Yeah, it's like the... I can't remember the name of it now. It's too late at night. Uh, it's the, the step up from the SSDs, isn't it? It's next fastest.
0: It's like an NVMe SSD. It's weird because you can't change it. You have to basically buy like a memory card cartridge or whatever and it's like a terabyte and it's only made by seagate and you just pop it into the back of the console i think it's a good idea in terms of expandable storage but at the same time it's like are we going back to the 360 where you had these massive like hard drive carts that you just slot into the console and it was very expensive because it was all done proprietary like i still understand that you can still use external drives and stuff but that's not really optimal when you're really dealing with this powerful consoles. It's kind of like on the PC, you don't want to run your Steam games off an external drive when you can run it on an SSD or something. So, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, bravo to Microsoft. I, I think a lot of the stuff is very impressive. At the same time, they they're putting out some specs and I, I really want to talk about the specs with both the uh, PS5 and the Xbox, but at the same time it's like They're so similar and people are like oh yeah the Xbox has a higher clock speed and this and that but to be honest with you the way that I see it and maybe you might agree with me you can have all that raw power but at the same time if developers don't know how to use it properly then you're not going to have a good time and we saw that with the PlayStation 3 Uh, it was an extremely powerful console and it still is but how many developers really took advantage of that hardware I don't think many
1: yeah and I guess that kind of goes to my big question with Xbox I mean I did not buy what's the current generation the Xbox one (laughs) i i I don't own an xbox one microsoft was never able to convince me to buy one that's purely because you look at the sales numbers for the xbox in japan and as far as i'm concerned as a as a guy that likes japanese games and really kind of relies on that for the you know bulk of the games that i do play the the absolute lack of uh interest that the japanese market has in the xbox is really telling and i i guess my big question is you know you can you can push out specs you know, all day long and they can be as powerful as you want. But if, there's nothing on there that I want to play <laughs> what's it, what's it going to do for me and Microsoft's focus has been overwhelmingly on not just kind of western developed games but games that are aggressively kind of a, a western culture thing like you're talking about Gears of War Halo and, and all that stuff and they're, they're perfectly fine games and I, I certainly wouldn't criticise anybody who, who enjoys them because yeah, they are well made that's that's an objective fact but they also are very very unmer- American in tone, they're like McDonald's. You know, it's um, it, it's fine for what it is, but is it kind of a balanced diet if you 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 kind of stick with the Xbox? And yeah, I don't know. I I, I just. From what i've seen obviously we're at the stage now where they're still just talking up specs and we haven't moved to the point where they're going to start talking up uh, up the software and the games that are on there but microsoft with all the studios it acquired as well over the last couple of years because it's been in a really kind of a studio buying spending spree and it's picked up what well, it picked up we happy fuse developer which is what compulsion games they picked up obsidian did microsoft buy obsidian they bought one of the top kind of retro styled rpg making developers and they bought. Ninja Theory. So they've been buying up a lot of studios, but what they're buying up kind of tells me what kind of games we're going to get from Microsoft over the next generation. And I don't know if any of those are going to pull me back into the Microsoft fold. I hope I'm wrong, but you know, those gory days where Microsoft was sponsoring or spending money on getting stuff like the the Last Odyssey and those kinds of games, they seem to be over. So that's, that's where my real concern is, I guess.
0: It's a concern for me as well. Like, I mean, I also agree, like for me, what made me stick with this current generation with the PlayStation 4 is because obviously having to review games, especially Japanese games, you're not going to get Xbox One copies. And it kind of feels that at the same time, like there's only a small number of studios that are doing it, like doing ports for the Xbox One and doing ports for the PC as more as a novelty that I don't think they really make much money from it. And it also, you know, if you want to play with Japanese players or whatever, you're really not going to be able to (laughs) on the Xbox One for those games. It's just very interesting because sometimes I feel that Microsoft can bring it back in the sense that Sony are really cracking down on certain types of games. And we've seen it with like the Senran Kagura series in the sense that they, they want to kind of, you know, cut out all the sexualization you know fan service let's say so there's some games that have come to the ps4 that have been heavily censored or you know a lot of stuff removed from the game or have games that haven't even been released like you look at sunran reflections that whole massage therapy game <laughs> massage therapy in air quotes right <laughs> that game was released on the pc and it was also released on the switch so i think the only thing that was stopping it being released on the ps4 is not you know porting it over but it's it's Sony's rules. So I think if Microsoft were to take advantage of that and be like, Hey guys, developers, there you go, develop what you want. You know, let's put more visual novels, let's do that. But it's un- highly unlikely that they're going to do that because they might see it as brand damaging, especially to their, you know, mostly American investors or Western investors, etc. So that's how I see it. I think they can bring it back in that sense.
1: That's pretty much what I was going to say. I was going to say, I mean, they, there is an opportunity there, I think. But I think that Microsoft is so heavily invested in making sure that that American market is the one that it looks after the most. And remember, the Xbox, um, the Xbox One actually was competitive with the PS4 in America. And basically only America, everywhere else in the world, the PS4 kind of dominated this generation. But Microsoft has been able to really kind of keep its foothold uh, in the American market. I don't think that Microsoft is going to change its stance on, shall we say, service y content, because that would potentially upset the the Karens. (laughs) that might be seeing their kids they see, seeing their kids play uh, the games that they shouldn't be on the, the Xbox. You know, it's okay to play the kind of Gears of War, but the minute you have a anime boob, it's all over. So I think those developers are moving into Nintendo. They're going to Nintendo in a big way. And those games don't really need kind of really powerful hardware because let's face it, they're made by small teams and they just don't have the resources anyway. I don't think... The next generation of consoles brings much to anybody in the Japanese development scene, except for maybe Square Enix. Square Enix and no, not, not even Sega's not that big either. If you actually look at Sega's numbers, they're not that big of a studio. It'd be more uh, Square Enix, um, obviously Sony's Japanese development team, and Capcom. You know, those kinds of studios. Those kinds of studios will still benefit from the extra power. But you look at even the mid tier like Koei Tecmo and, and Bandai Namco, and those kinds of studios. I don't think they get that much out of it and if you go even a step further to Idea Factory and the other kind of super niche Japanese developers about the only thing that the next generation of consoles will bring them is perhaps a a more open field where they have even less technical restrictions so their kind of very modest games are even less likely to run into frame rate issues and things.
0: See the funny thing is you mentioned Koei and I don't want to put them on blast but I just want to mention (laughs) that there are some Japanese developers that I feel don't even know how to use the PS4 properly. I know it sounds Really bad, but I've noticed this. Like, if you've ever played Dynasty Warriors 8 Complete Edition for the PS4, that game had weird frame rate issues. It was stuttering. They tried to put too many, you know, people on on the screen at once, and it had like shading and texture issues. And if you play it on the PlayStation 3, it's like, this game is fucking amazing. And a problem that they kind of have, I feel like they haven't gotten used to that generation of consoles. And I hope it changes with the PS5.
1: I mean, to talk about Koei Tecmo, I kind of agree with you. I I think for Koei Tecmo, the issue is they kind of, uh, I don't want to say it like it's a derogatory thing, because I certainly appreciate how many games they give me to play, but they do churn out a lot of games. Like, Koei Tecmo is the most prolific Japanese developer by a significant margin. Not just the stuff they publish themselves, but you look at Neo, for example, which Sony publishes, or uh, the Bandai Namco, the you know the One Piece Warriors, or the you know Dragon Quest Heroes,
0: or if you look at Fire Emblem Three Houses. Yeah,
1: exactly. The stuff they've done for Nintendo. You know, they're they're a very prolific studio, and I don't think that gives them the time to optimize their engines necessarily um we in some cases where they have the resources to do so they create some spectacular looking games like neo2 is up there with the best looking games that you can get on the ps4 but you're right you know a lot of their stuff their their engine is just not it takes a lot of work to make an engine work on a on a console and you know or, or the xbox as well um but maybe it is the the benefit that koey gets from these this next generation consoles is those things are uh that powerful that you know, you can kind of brute force your way through with some engines.
0: I completely agree with you. And I just I know Kowie's gonna be listening to this, so don't take this as a as a negative thing, take it as something to move forward. Cause we might be a little bit harsher in the final segment of this episode. But before that, I want to know what is your opinion on the design of the PS4 controller? Cause we've only gotten <laughs> little bits and pieces. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, it is... We've only got little is, bits and
0: pieces from Sony, so... I eh.
1: Yeah, Marie Kondo would tell you to throw that thing out because it's ugly and doesn't bring you joy to your life. It's... That <laughs> it is a terrible constant controller. Like, it is... Mm. Ugly. It, it hurts my eyes to look at it physically. Like, uh, that, that extreme dual tone of the very white white against the very black black, and then that blue bar that comes through the middle section... It just, it looks like the kind of thing that industrial designers that have never taken an arts course would push out as something that they think looks cool. Wow, that was... (laughs) It's... uh, (laughs) That was harsh. I'm sure it plays like, I'm sure it's a nice controller, I'm sure it feels good and plays really well because Sony makes good controllers. But yeah, I I looked at that thing and kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. It just comes across as very try-hard to me. And I do not know why Sony didn't just stick to the single-color controllers, because they're good-looking. You have choice. You can pick a red one, you can pick a white one, black one, whatever kind of suits your... Your decor and uh, there, there was no question trying to make that kind of white black one work in any kind of household where you want it to look right in, in the room I just don't see it happening and now I'm scared to see what the actual console will look like if it's like a, a top deck block of chocolate where it's like the the white top and the black it's gonna look bottom, like a bar it, yeah it's gonna it's gonna hurt my eyes I'm gonna hide it behind my tv so nobody actually sees it
0: <laughs> the funny thing is for me is that I have a feeling that this is gonna be like the launch console And then, you know, maybe two years down the line, they'll be like, "Uh, this isn't working. Let's do a a console refresh, maybe new colors. Because Sony has done that in the past. You know, we've had like red PS4s, blue ones, and you know, white ones and stuff. I just also don't like the two-tone thing. I'm worried about the most, and this is the reason why I don't buy white consoles. I- my hands get a bit greasy, right? Sometimes I'm eating chips, or uh, like I'm- like I'm- I don't wanna say I'm eating fried chicken while I'm playing games, but sometimes that does happen, so... My consoles are gonna get really greasy, I should wash my hands, I know that, I'm a disgusting, filthy person. But, you know, still, even even with reg- regular sweat on your hands, that, that is going to, like, darken up the, the white on the console. It's going to look shit. You're going to have to play a new one if you're like me because I don't like the dirt. So it's like, I think they should have just stuck with a matte black or they should have gone with, like, a, a different color, like a blue or, you know, like red or something different. I, the white... I always hate white on consoles. I know it's more expensive, I know people love it, but no. <laughs> I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, they had a white cons- controller for, you know, Dual DualShock 3 for the PS4, and it looked fine. I bought one, you know, it looked fine in a box. For me, it's not so much the dirt, although the dirt is an issue, but also if you use those consoles, anything that is kind of manufactured out of white, if you use it in a room that gets any kind of sunlight at all, over a couple of years it fades, and... It, it doesn't look good when it fades. <laughs> like, it's, it, it, yeah. get, it gets this really kind of yellowish tinge, and it's just, oh, it, it's horrible. I never buy white electronics, so, yeah, bad Sony. Uh, I just hope that, you know, there's skin options. Skin options will be alright.
0: <laughs> it, it, it feels like we're going back into the 90s and the 80s, you know, when you had those massive PCs and, you, like, everything is just all... Oh, I don't want to imagine it. It just We need to bring, like, Steve Jobs back from the dead so he can teach all these people how to make,
1: you know, electronics that look good again because, yeah, it's... They're, they're... Well, I mean,
0: even then, <laughs> if Sony hired, like, someone like Johnny Ive or something, I wouldn't like that either because it... it I don't want the console to be pretentious, at the same time I don't (laughs) want it to be this sort of beefy brick type thing. No, I don't want that, I just want something, even if it's a box, even if it's just like a fucking box, I don't like the stupid like cascading diagonal thing on the PS4. It annoys me because then I have to, when I clean it, I have to go into these nooks and crannies. If the console was just a box, or if it was like the PS4, uh, sorry, the PS3 Super Slim, right, where it was just like a a really cheap console. I know this sounds really shit, but like a really cheap console that doesn't even have like a proper um, disk eject system, or or like a slot loading mechanism. It's just like something you put on the top, like a a top loader, kind of like the NES or whatever, and then you just slide it, done. That would have been amazing, but eh, I don't know. I just want something really basic from Sony, and that sounds really bad because a lot of people are going to be looking at
1: it. <laughs> at the risk of sounding like a Nintendo fanboy, I don't know why they just uh, the, these guys don't take more inspiration from how Nintendo does it. I mean, we're talking about consoles and games. This stuff is meant to be fun and you know, kind of you know enjoyable. It's our entertainment system, and you know, the, the Switch does just some wonderful things. It's got all those lovely multicolored you know rainbow pattern you know Joy Cons, and you can mix and match them, and you can really customize it and make it your own your, your own device. And yeah. I, it's just playful. I, I don't know. I like I like my game consoles to be playful and fun. You know, even the Wii
0: U. I completely understand that. It's just at the same time, it's like the way that these things are marketed. I, I've been watching a lot of cartoons recently. Like I, I I turn on like um you know Nickelodeon. and I watch SpongeBob like 24 hours a day because I have nothing to do. <laughs> But I'm watching Spongebob and every five minutes, there's, oh, buy the new Nintendo Switch Lite. And it's always like these kids in the adverts. And it's just like, okay, I get it. Their, their main, you know, market is is the, you know, children. I get it. it, makes sense. But at the same time, if you look at the Sony adverts and you look at the Microsoft adverts, it's always like, you lads? Do you know what I mean? It's always this, They always show the big AAA titles, you know, Gears of War, your Halos, and it kind of feels more aggressive. And I don't think Sony is going to, you know, go for something or even Microsoft. I don't think they're going to go for something that is, you know, colorful and, you know, fun. When I get it, games consoles are meant to be fun, but they want it to be aggressive. Microsoft, I understand where they're going with their design philosophy. They want this to be on your desk. That's what it was. Like they want that part in the home entertainment system. That's exactly what it was. And I think that's why they designed the original Xbox One as a VCR, because it fits in your cabinet it kind of replaces those old kind of nostalgic electronics that you still might have in in the you know, in your tv console or whatever i kind of agree with what you say about the console well the controller itself but more so the console as well sony have always been tryhards like, the PS4 <laughs> is a great example, especially with the PS4 Pro. What is that? It looks like a stack of pancakes that's falling over. Like, what is that? I think they're going to do something stupid with the PS5. I think it's going to be something ridiculous, and it's going to look horrid. And I'm like, I'm only going to get this because I want to play the games. I don't want to look at it. So I might do the same thing as you. I might tape it to the back of the TV. <laughs> it's the
1: best place for Sony consoles. It really is. I look in, I, I'm sitting here talking to you now, and I've actually got my like TV and set up in front of me and yeah the ps4 is actually buried off in the back corner um it's you've got, got my apple tv and whatever more kind of front front and center and i've got my little nintendo my super NES mini sitting there on the, the table as well but yeah the ps the ps4 is yeah, it's back there the only thing that i've buried more is this is the playstation vr headset <laughs> yeah, there's just nothing you can do to make that thing look good
0: it's the designers at Sony. I, I, I don't want to shit on Sony. It's just, I don't know where their design philosophy is coming from. Like, you know, as a designer myself, it, it, it upsets me because it's like, you see there's so many great architects and there's so many great designers out there and you could poach them from any company like johnny ive left apple like you could have just gone like oh johnny ive blah blah blah." and he'd be like oh yes you know what i mean he they could have hired him sony has the money to hire these professional designers
1: why why sony did not make it a priority to get johnny ive i mean if there's one weakness in in sony's overall business it is that design side of things and not just its consoles you know its cameras are ugly as hell as well compared to its its competitors i mean even its tvs they're just Sony makes great technology it just doesn't make it look as good as it should and I think yeah I can't see the PS5 being any different, especially after seeing that controller and just knowing that Sony's going to try and make the console and the controller match. <laughs> it's just not going to work. What
0: if they don't match? Uh,
1: well, that's probably the best thing of all. If if the if the actual PS5 unit's like this rainbow, multicolored thing that shoots you know sparklers out every time you turn it on, that would actually be something I'd be impressed with, because at least it'd be playful. And uh, but it, it is going to be a dual-tone white-black thing. They might try and sandwich the white thing between two black layers. That's my ge- That's my prediction. That's it's my prediction. Be like an aura. Oreo. Yeah, it's going to be like an Oreo. That's, that's I'm making that as my prediction right here, right now. I, I you don't heard, want 1st
0: PS5 Oreo. If that <laughs> happens, then I know that you, you probably designed it, Matt. <laughs> no, no.
1: no, if I designed it, it'd be so much worse than even it's going to be. <laughs>
0: to, to be honest with you, there's, there's something about it, like, ah... Uh, I can't handle it. It's giving me like goosebumps. I don't want to hear about it. I think that's a good time to sort of take a break. Let's take an ad break and we'll come back a bit later. Hello, hello, hello. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Crunchyroll, crunchyroll.com forward slash kunai. Uh, we do love Crunchyroll here. In fact, we use it a lot for the podcast, as you guys know, and we encourage you guys to go and check out anime, especially watching legal sources of anime. You support the industry when you watch on Crunchyroll, and you get the largest lineup of anime ever. There's like more than 2,000 anime on Crunchyroll that you can watch right now if you go and sign up to our link. Which gives you 14 days of Crunchyroll premium service. And what that premium service offers you is anime without ads, 1080p HD, and you can watch it on everything, almost. Your PS4, your Xbox One. You can watch it on the Wii U if you still own one. <laughs> you can watch it on PC, Mac, iOS, Android, even on Chromecast and Apple TV, Roku, everything. Personally, I love casting from Chrome onto my TV to watch Crunchyroll. It's amazing. Crunchyroll offers the most diverse collection of anime straight from Japan, each season bringing you the best new anime from Japan to give you that largest lineup of anime ever. Remember, if you are a big fan of simulcasts, you're getting anime one hour after release in Japan, which is insane. That means if you're watching My Hero Academia, whatever season that we're on now, as soon as it hits Japan, you're getting it one hour later. So you don't really need to waste your time with spoilers on Twitter. You can watch it straight away if you wanted to. That's what I love about Crunchyroll. And I'm sure you guys will love it too. Go to www.crunchyroll.com forward slash kunai for a 14-day free trial of Crunchyroll Premium. I know you guys are not going to regret it because I haven't. Thank you Crunchyroll for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by J-List. Yes, that J-List. Go and visit them for all your needs. If you need to import games from Japan that you can only get in Japan, J-List has it. Nandroids, J-List got them. Anime merchandise, J-List has it. J-List has everything. Including manga, gaming, anime merch, Japanese cosplay, homeware goods from Japan. I've even seen a kotatsu there as well. So JList literally has anything you want from Japan, it's on JList. Uh, you just need to type it in. They've even got adult goods. And if you're kind of afraid of buying that kind of stuff, they've got you covered literally and figuratively with their anonymous shipping service. So no one needs to know what's inside the boxes. They get put into like plain cardboard boxes if you do want to support the show and everything that we do here on the podcast make sure you go to www.getalifepodcast.com forward slash jlist and use the code g-a-l-p at checkout for five percent off your entire order and you can keep on using that code again and again and again for all of your shopping on jlist and that code also includes pre-orders so you know just use it use it if you want that new nico figurine or if you wanted that a nice pair of cat tights i don't know what you buy and i'm not judging i personally use jlist i've used them before and we've so if you want to learn more about jlist go to that episode of the podcast check it out see what it is it's a pretty wholesome company i really do love them and i'm glad that they're sponsoring and we wanted to go for sponsors that are very appropriate to the gaming and anime and japanese culture in general and we thought no one's better than JList at that. Yeah, we're not gonna come up with some random sponsors that make no difference to you guys and stuff that you don't wanna buy. Remember, go to getalifepodcast.com forward slash j use the code G-A-L-P at checkout for 5% off on everything in your basket, including pre-orders. Thank you, JList, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Welcome back. As you guys know, we're here with Matthew Sainsbury and we're here for the final segment, which is launch titles. What do you think is going to be launching on the PS Five? Let's forget about the Xbox One and let's talk specifically PS Five.
1: Oh well, at this stage, it looks like it's going to be Last of Us Two, doesn't it? <laughs> Probably. They keep, keep delaying that thing. I would be very surprised if it's not now, um, because it was delayed. What inevitably? Yeah, uh, you know, not inevitably. It was delayed indefinitely, right? They haven't actually set a new date. So, I would suspect that this COVID thing is going to run through to at least the end of the year, and uh, Sony will. Want want to have something really awesome up its sleeve to sell the PS5. I think it'll be last of us 2. That's going to be the launch title, the big one. I mean, they've got to keep Ghost of Tsushima coming out this year, right? Because they need something on the PS4 to co, and they've already got that game done and dusted. So, that's going to that's going to stick. I don't think they're going to change the release date on that. But yeah, um, other than that, I mean, the thing is, the consoles don't launch with very good games anymore. Yeah, that's so true. It's a it's a difficult thing because if you want to engage with third-party developers, you've got to try and convince them to create a game for a console that not many people are going to own. So where's the money in it for them? (laughs) You know, when they can develop for the existing console, which has like 70 million units out there, and they know full well that people aren't just going to move wholesale over to the next generation of console. So for them, the incentive is to keep developing for the existing one. Whereas, you know, uh, Sony will obviously want people to develop for the new one. It'll be really up to what they can push through their own, you know, first-party, I think.
0: See, it's an, it's an interesting thing because we were talking about, you know, the PS4 and, and the PS5, it being very similar because I saw, you know, they were doing some sort of conferences and they were showing off Spider-Man gameplay, and which is a PS4 game, and they were showing it, that, that game running on the PS5. It doesn't look visually different. Yeah, there is ray tracing and stuff, but at the same time, it's the load times. So I, I still think that possibly porting games from the PS4 to the PS5 won't be difficult. So we might just see a lot of developers just being like especially someone like Koei or like Bandai or whatever like hey these are all of our PS4 titles there you go you know like part of me thinks like that I think that we're probably going to get Dynasty Warriors 9 on the PS5 uh, you know at launch probably because I know a lot of people don't like Dynasty Warriors 9 we'll probably get Dynasty Warriors 8 complete edition or definitive edition or whatever edition that we're on we're going to get that probably and a few other titles to be honest with you like
1: my bet is actually they won't they won't dip back into Dynasty Warriors nine. Um, you you don't think th- so? No, I think that that was so unpopular and such a kind of. I'm uh, glad uh,
0: you recognise that. I, I,
1: well, everybody knows that. You know, anybody who talks to me knows that I really like Dynasty Warriors nine. I gave it five out of five stars uh, when I reviewed it. <laughs> I'm that guy that everybody ended up hating because I like the game that everybody else was you know saying is bad. Uh, in terms of reputation, I think it hurt the reputation of the brand. So I can't see KoE actually doing anything with it mostly because I don't think there's much they can do with it um if you look at the other games when they've done the kind of the updated port for the next generation of consoles there's al- they've always added stuff to it it whether it's kind of bundling all the DLC in and throwing a couple of extra characters in or upgrading the visuals in some way or something like that to do that with Dynasty Warriors 9 you'd be looking at a massive project because it's that big open world kind of experience and I just can't see them wanting to dedicate the resources basically to make Dynasty Warriors 9 the game that people want it to be Koei Tekmo would have to effectively throw a full games worth of resources back at it and I can't see that happening.
0: If you look at Dynasty Warriors 9 there's a lot of reused textures, there's a lot of reused move sets. There's a lot of issues that I have with it, but that's not what this episode's about. I think I think it could be done like you bundle that DLC up, right? You, you'd be like, okay, cool. All the characters that were there, we throw in a couple of other characters and then add an, a few other scenarios, cut the load times. I think an issue for me with Dynasty Warriors 9 was some load times and a lot of glitches. And Koei, to, to their credit, they have fixed a lot of stuff and they're still supporting the game with regular updates to this day, which is surprising for me because Koei never really supports a game past a year. And they're I think we're almost at like two years or something and Koei's still actively updating there were some good things about the game in terms like the photo mode and you know the way that the characters model looked and, and all that I think what would have made Dynasty Warriors 9 bearable for me to play is not really about the gameplay or anything if they brought back the original cast the voice cast from Dynasty Warriors 8 I would have been game even if Dynasty Warriors you know 9 was the most trash game ever if they brought back the original cast I would have still loved it I would have still played it That's just my opinion, because it was like that with 6. I didn't like 6, but I still played it because the voice cast was there. I I put
1: Dynasty Warriors 9 on the Chinese voice track because, yeah, I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to kind of the voice matching with the setting wherever possible, and we're talking about, you know, Ancient China. So the Chinese voice cast was an interesting addition for me, and actually one of the things I really liked about Dynasty Warriors 9. Um, I really enjoyed that voice track. So hopefully they do that with all the series, the Dynasty Warriors series in the future. If Koei is going to have a launch Warriors game for the PS5, I think it might be a Samurai Warriors. I think...
0: So, that's where we differ, but I'll let you finish on that.
1: I think they might give Spirit of Sonata another run, because that one was really well received as a game, I think. Um... But I think it just landed at the wrong point in time. There was a Samurai, Samurai Warriors released fairly soon. I think there was a Dynasty. There was a whole bunch of stuff that Koei was releasing around the same time, and it was just it kind of got lost in the flow. I think. But I think if they were to give that one a release now, uh, or in a year with the PS5, the fact that they haven't had a new Samurai Warriors for quite a while will help that one to really have uh, some presence. And if you look at it, that one is a game that they could quite easily add to and quite easily upgrade to, to look nice on the next generation of console because the levels were smaller there was a lot of kind of the uh, a lot of downtime where you, you could kind of just flood the game with additional textures and more detailed character models and people go wow this thing looks really good like the kind of the little towns that you get to explore around so there's a lot they could do with small things small additional development projects to really make that game sing and on top of that, I just like to see it. <laughs> so, if you're listening, Koei Techmark, give, give Spirit of Sanada another run, please.
0: I think that would be very interesting. But to me, when I played Spirit of Sanada, it was like very Tokiden esque. Like the way that it was structured and going out to get resources and stuff, it kind of felt like the first Tokiden game. I think if they made Spirit of Sanada open world like Dynasty Warriors 9, that game would be amazing. That's just my opinion. Because th- then it makes a lot of sense.
1: Speaking more generally here, I would much, I, I would like to see KoE do what they did with *Spirit of Sonata*, in that they took one particular general and really focused the entire experience around that character's story. So you had a chance to really see that develop. Whereas with most samurai warriors games and dynasty warriors games, you get more snippets. It's kind of key moments here and there, and um, you know, it's better for you if you already have done the reading beforehand to, to kind of really appreciate what those characters were. Whereas with Spirit of Sonata, you've got a real chance to learn about that family and their particular story. And the reason that they did that, I'm 99% sure, is because every year over in Japan, NHK, which is their public broadcaster, their BBC or ABC in Australia, NHK does this kind of drama series, this historical drama series, where they take one particular character from the Sengoku period and um, tell that character's story. Spirit of Sonata actually released in Japan at the same time that NHK was doing the drama about the sonata family that year because that was the, the family they chose so it was that kind of really nice fit in so people the japanese audience were watching this show it's a very popular show and then they were able to buy the game and really enjoy the game um and i would like to see them do that more often kind of tie these kind of stories in because the nhk thing is really cool um i think the year i think it was last year or was it this year they did Naotora E. And just thinking about that, it would be great to have uh, an entire game based around the E family story because they had some pretty amazing moments through the Sengoku period as well. So yeah, that that would be a really good direction. I would like to see Samurai Warriors go. The open world thing didn't work so well. Uh, that's fine. Let's scrap it. Let's not do that again. Let's find another way to modernize the, the Warriors' storytelling. And yeah, this is a way they can do it, I think.
0: See, that's very interesting, especially because Samurai Warriors does have a a smaller cast compared to Dynasty Warriors. So that kind of makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned the NHK thing. I think they need to partner up with NHK.
1: That would be even better.
0: Yes. (laughs) Because then that way, it's like, oh, it's a tie-in. Like, this is a tie-in game for the series that they're doing, especially if they're doing this every year. And you're basically kind of guaranteeing, hey, guys, you're getting a a new game every year. And it's basically they only need to do it just once because a lot of the battles are just like... Re, you know, retextured or re taken from, you know, Samurai Warriors 4, and then brought in. If they did that, Kobe would make a lot of money, and because Kobe would know that people like us would buy it straight away. Like I wouldn't even need to ask for a review copy; I would pre-order that from day one. Like that's just that makes a lot of sense. But I don't see that working for for titles like Dynasty Warriors. Yeah. So as I was saying, like you mentioned that you want to see a Samurai Warriors release. And I don't think that's going to be likely. A lot of people on Twitter are like, yeah, we're going to get Samurai Warriors 5 for PS5, because, you know, 5 and 5. Okay, no, we're not going to see that. We did see that with Samurai Warriors 4. Don't get me wrong. But I think Koei is going to be releasing a Dynasty Warriors 10, because it's the 20th anniversary of Shin Sangoku Musou. So I think that is going to be the thing, because Koei loves their anniversaries, and I don't think they're going to mess around with with the PS5 launch. They're gonna do Dynasty Warriors 10 and tell them that Bish told you this, either that it's gonna be like at launch or it's gonna be like in March of 2021. That's when I think Dynasty Warriors 9, oh sorry, Dynasty Warriors 10 or Shinsangoku Musou 9 will release. And that's my opinion.
1: Well, I mean, it's a fairly safe bet that they're working on the next iteration of something because we haven't seen a new whatever for, for quite a while now, I mean, Dynasty Warriors 9 was the last one. We didn't even get an Empire's version of that. So um, the last couple of years, Koei's Warriors releases have really been the kind of the, the tie-in, the anime tie-in or the video game tie-in ones. So it is time that they announced that it. it's almost certain that's going to be a PS5 release. But yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Dynasty Warriors is probably the, the go-to for the company. But at the same time, I do think that Dynasty Warriors 9 would have spoke, spooked Koei. They wouldn't quite know what direction to take the series now With after that one. I, I, I really don't think, I don't think that they'll do another open world, at least not the next one, because I really think that that open world experience spooked them, and I'm not sure that the issues that people had with the game, based on the feedback that they would have got from their PR teams and whatever, I, I don't think those issues are fixable in a short time frame. I think there needs to be kind of a foundational relook at how to do open world Dynasty Warriors. And I don't think that the next game will be enough of a time frame to do that. So I could be wrong, but my prediction is it won't be open world next oh, time
0: around. 100%. 100%. Like for me, I, I can tell you, there's a lot of journalists, you know, even Jim Sterling. he done a lot of damage to, to Dynasty Warriors 9. And it went viral and everything, and everyone's talking shit about the game. I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be open world. I think it's going to be... I'm not sure if you remember Dynasty Warriors 6, right? Do you remember it?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah, So, around the release, before the release of Dynasty Warriors 9, I said, Guys, I have a feeling this game is going to be bad. We haven't heard anything about the game because 6 is just a flipped 9, right? Or 9 is a flipped 6. So, I th- had a feeling that the 6 is going to be bad. And I think in some cultures, number 9 is like bad luck, right? I think, like, Chinese culture, right? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> it's it's, um, it's an unlucky number. So it's like, ugh, I had a feeling it was going to be bad, but 6 took a lot of things. Like, if you realise it, they did a lot of the same pitfalls in 9 as they did in 6. So 6 changed a lot of characters' weapons. It changed some voices of characters you know, they had some sort of open world abilities, like you are able to swim in the game and you're able to do this and that and you know, climb ladders properly and and control stuff, which have been, you know, brought into seven and eight and all that. But there was a lot of stuff that was removed, like, you know, the wacky weapons were removed, but they, they went with more, you know, casual weapons, characters were removed, move sets were made the same stuff like that. And, and the whole thing, the Renbu rank system, I don't know if you remember that, it was a system in which you could basically do a combo. There was no break between combos. You could basically do that same button press infinitely. And Kobe said, we'll never do that again. That was the worst idea. And they brought it back for 9. So it just felt like a lot of the stuff was just pumping back in. And I think what made 7 so great was the fact that 7 wasn't really a remarkable game. But why people loved it was because It felt it felt natural. It felt like, you know, it felt like Dynasty Warriors 5, if that makes sense, even though it didn't at all. But it felt familiar. There was a lot of new changes, but at the same time, there was a lot of good improvements. And I think we're going to get that with 10. No doubt about it. I think what they're going to do is they might do it like Samurai Warriors might bring it back to old school, smaller maps, very small maps. Because um, Dynasty Warriors 8 had like huge maps and it was impressive, but it took it was a bit of a pain in the ass You know going, taking red hair because if you didn't have red hair There was no point even walking or running in the game or whatever But taking red hair and going from one side of the map to the other Maps were a bit too huge I think going to smaller maps or medium-sized maps as, as they were in previous games would be very beneficial to Kali bringing back, you know, old weapons, characters I think certain characters also need to be added in, like there's a lot of fan favourites, I've been talking to a lot of the members of the community, people want Liao Hua in the game. Why is Liao Hua not there? Because Liao Hua was there from the Yellow Turbans all the way to the fall of, of the Three Kingdoms, right? So, characters like that would be interesting, or bringing in elements from the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, like characters aging. Like that would be cool, like playing with Zhao Yun with a beard that's fucking badass or like stuff like that would be really cool because we kind of saw it also in spirit of sanada as well you know yukimura you're playing as him as a child and then obviously he grows up and then you see him with that weird mustache and you're like whoa it's it's stuff like that that we need to see and i think koei can do it and it's not it doesn't i don't want to really diminish what what they do because they do really good work but they have all the resources there i just think it's about compiling them i don't think it's really much of an additional work to do as compared to Dynasty Warriors 9 which was such an ambitious project but i think it, it just needs to be like very old school like bringing back that stuff maybe focusing on certain characters stories within the musou mode kind of like in Dynasty Warriors 5 maybe bringing back stuff like um bodyguards in Dynasty Warriors 4 making it basically like a game like an ode to the fans like I just want it to be a game in which Koik sits down with the community and says, hey, these are the stuff we did wrong. What do you think we need to do to improve? I think they need to be less, um, how do you say, secretive with things, because that's the issue that we had with Dynasty Warriors 9, that we didn't really know anything until the game's release. We didn't know that the game was going to have any sort of English voices until two weeks before the release of the game. There's a lot of stuff, right? So the problem that a a game
1: like Dynasty Warriors faces is that engaging with the community is a challenge because in part one of the one of the values, one of the one of the reasons that these games are valuable is that they introduce things about history to, to people. And I think that gets that gets lost a little bit. One of the one of the things that Dynasty Warriors 9 did particularly well and I never saw it really credited was that it did a particularly good job of reflecting what that book actually represented and the way that the, the tone of the book and the structure of the, the storytelling. Dynasty Warriors 9 was the best take on Romance of the Three Kingdoms, the book, not the game series, that we've had. And I would be very disappointed with Koei to see them take a step back from that. Especially when they're also done similar things with with the Samurai Warriors series, with Spirit of Sonata for example. They've they've taken these great steps in terms of making these games genuinely historical in value. That that's a really valuable thing. I mean, the reason I got into this series was because Samurai Warriors 3, which was actually my first Warriors game. So I'm fairly new to the series, but Samurai Warriors 3 inspired me to learn about Japanese history because it is a fairly good take. It was a fairly good take on Japanese history. I felt that Samurai warriors 4, Samurai Warriors 4 was a little bit step back from that because I think they tried to make it more gameplay um and the 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 levels lost their kind of their openness, which Samurai Warriors 3 had, which felt like actual battlefields. Samurai Warriors 4 felt more like levels, and that was a little bit disappointing for me. Um, and then they found, I guess, their their historical vibe again with uh, Spirit of Sonata because of the focus on the characters. I've seen similar things happen with uh, Dynasty Warriors, so I mean, obviously, after I got into the series, I went back and played some of the older ones, as well as Six onwards. I've played all of them, and. What I find is that the games that tend to do well with the community are the ones that don't tend to do so well as being what what Dynasty Warriors is meant to be. I mean, if you look back at what Koei was trying to do, they were trying to take Romance of the Three Kingdoms and turn it into an action game. So I, I don't think that Koei should lose sight of that intent. And I think that Dynasty Warriors 9, I'd be very disappointed if Dynasty Warriors 9 spooks them out of trying what they tried to do with it. I mean, I, I was one of the few people that kind of liked the fact that they got, they pulled back a little bit on those ridiculous weapons. Because those ridiculous weapons, as much fun as they are to use, became a focus of the game. And I think that people lost sight a little bit of the rest of it. Uh, and it's a very difficult thing because basically, you know, anything that Cory does to please me will piss off a Jim Sterling and vice versa. So they've, they've hit that point with this series where there's people, different people have are fans of it for different reasons. And it's about trying to find that middle ground. I'm not sure consulting with the community is necessarily the right way to go with this one, funnily enough. Because if they consult with the community, they're only going to get certain perspectives. And if they try to consult with the entire community, they're going to be told to be doing polar opposite things by every single person. So they'll get stuck in this place. They need to make creative decisions. And they need to push the series on. And I think that, that they need to be willing to piss some people off, I think, in order to find a creative vision for the series going forwards so,
0: the, so you mentioned they need to be able to piss people off but I think the people that they need to piss off and forgive me for saying this Matt is people like you because to me Dynasty Warriors yes it's it's a game based on a book which is loosely based on history the book like Romance of the Three Kingdoms yes it's a historical book but it's it's still a fiction novel there's characters that don't exist so if you want to be historically accurate you can't have characters like Diao Chan. You can't have characters like this and that. There's a lot of characters that don't exist, and a lot of their stories are a lot more gory, right? So it's like, if you want the game to be historical, you can't even base it on the book. You just have to base it on pure history. To, to just
1: quickly jump in there, the book itself is a piece of history. The, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms is considered... What's the exact term for it? China has four novels that is actually listed as kind of these great pieces of kind of f- uh, fiction and um, yeah, uh, Journey to the West is one of them. There's two that are really famous in the Western cultures, Journey to the West and Romance of the Three Kingdoms. The other two are, I don't know if you can even find them in English, but Romance uh, of the can, Three Kingdoms... Yeah, you, can. you can? Okay, cool. I'll have to read yeah, those two. I've, an, I've only read two it's, of them. Um,
0: <laughs> one of them is, is I think, uh, Feng Yanyi, which is something, it's kind of like the story of you know, like when you play Warriors Orochi, and you have like characters like Nuwa and Daji, and all these characters—they're from that book. So. Oh, okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I haven't read those two, but I've, obviously I've read Journey to the West and Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Those books are themselves works of history. They're—they—they in themselves have historical value, and I think that it's important that firstly, Koei recognize that you know they're not creating historical games, and I don't think they've ever claimed to do that, but they need to create games that are authentic to. Romance of the Three Kingdoms, and I think if you just to just listen to a Jim Sterling about what they should do with Dynasty Warriors, you will end up with a game that's a bit of a, a piss take, and I, I don't want... I want to be able to take Dynasty Warriors seriously. I want Jim to be able to have fun with it, but I want to be able to take it seriously as an uh, an adapt, adaptation of a book that I really love.
0: I think this game was never really necessarily to be meant to be. I, I know it sounds really stupid when I say this, but it's not meant to be. An adaptation of historical events and stuff like that and the reason why i say that is because there's a lot of stuff in previous games and even in dynasty warriors 9 that it doesn't really make sense it, it, it just seems a bit odd like for example juggernauts like these massive tanks like okay cool i get that they may have existed but there's certain things that i don't think add up at the same time um you mentioned like ko not really going for anything historical nev- n- and you said that they they're not there to make games historical. But when you play Romance of the Three Kingdoms, even when you you know see the trailers and stuff, it says it's a historical simulation game. So clearly they have those titles. And I think this is where Koei needs to focus on. You've got your games, like if people want the history, if people want a serious look on the Three Kingdoms that isn't quirky and goofy at times, I think Romance of the Three Kingdoms is the game for you. And that's just my personal opinion dynasty warriors as a game was never meant and i I know it sounds really bad it was never meant to be taken seriously whether you look at you know dynasty warriors 2 with some really weird move sets or you look at dynasty warriors 3 with the really dodgy dub like you flaming idiots and stuff like that and you go forward with dynasty Warriors 4 and just quirky weapons Yes, I do think that at points, it does get a bit stupid and a bit silly. Like if you look at Dynasty Warriors 8, there was some DLC weapons like Taisho Tse had like shish kebabs instead of his twin rods. Okay, that's a bit, you know, I don't like that cosmetic changes. I, I would remove that, but at the same time, it's the Dynasty Warriors quirkiness. I think it's 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 created its own cult following at this point. Like it's, it's surpassed history at this point, and I don't think the game was meant to be taken seriously. And I think a-, a pitfall of Dynasty Warriors 9 was, in general, was the fact that it was designed for a Chinese market in mind. They didn't want to offend them by including all of this crazy shit and having Guo Hai have a machine gun on his hand, or having uh, Sha-Ho-Ba with like a massive lo- rocket launcher. It-, it seems offensive at that point. It seems insulting. So I understand why they did that, but I still think, you know, in in this o- odd kind of quirky way. Dynasty Warriors, to me, doesn't really seem Chinese, if that makes sense. It seems very quirky, very Japanese-esque, right? It's, it's kind of like, the way I see it, it's kind of like anime, right? Like, you're not going to look at anime and be like, oh, this isn't historically accurate. You can't compare an anime to historical drama. That's just how I see it. So I, I kind of feel that Dynasty Warriors is kind of this quirky anime take on the book Romance of Three Kingdoms. It It has, like, nods to it there are some dramatic points in the game, and there are some stuff that are based off, you know, the history, but I think people need to you know, bring back that fun because Dynasty Warriors 9 wasn't fun. Dynasty Warriors 8 was more of the same. It's just, I just feel as a fan of the game for for 20 years, it just feels like it's lost its essence. And I think that's why I think we need to get the community on board, and that's why Koei needs to make that happen because we've seen it in the past, DOA, You know, it's kind of gone a bit downhill. At the beginning with DOA5, there was a lot of community engagement. They brought in professional players in. Even with um, Dead or Alive, I think it was Dimensions on the 3DS. That was a game where they brought in professional players. You know, Chosen One, Vanessa, Master, Swoozy, And they brought them over to Japan and they said, These are our thoughts for the game. We want you guys to try it. We want your opinions. We We want that kind of stuff. So I think community engagement is a very important thing. And I don't think we should shit on it. Yes, the community is very varied, but that's the perfect thing. You just bring in people from different places. But I think the consensus will be mainly the same. Looking at Dynasty Warriors 9 and how it wasn't really received so well, the fans want something, you know, that is... I don't want to say nostalgic, but they want something that's quirky and they want something that's fun. They don't want to be playing, a, a you know, this boring game. So, yeah, I do understand that it's difficult and Koei's not going to be able to put in everything because then it will just be... I don't know. It, it will just be some weird, stupid garbage. But they can bring in certain things that the fans really want. Like, even, like, characters, like before. Even with Samurai Warriors, right? They do those character polls. But I think they need to do more than character polls. They need to, you know, do live streams. And I understand Koei's Japanese office is very, like, very... I don't want to say refined, but they're, like, very, like, strict on certain things. They're very strict with their IP. They don't want to to open it up to the people, so I think really showing people more, um, maybe doing like open betas would be very helpful for Koei as well. Like, release a stage and be like, guys, this is what we're working on at the moment in terms of Dynasty Warriors 10 or Samurai Warriors or whatever game that they're working on. Put it out there because Koei has done it in the past. They've done it with Dead or Alive, so I don't understand why they can't do it with this, with this title or with this series in general.
1: It's debatable just how much of a value those open betas are versus being a bit of promotion. I mean, if you look at uh, Neo, for example, by the time they get those those betas out there, the the capacity to actually make major changes, if they feel like they need to make major changes, is pretty limited. So basically, the game is already set in stone there, and those things are as much valuable. They're 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 there as much as a, a way of you know getting people. Making videos talking about the game, generating hype, hype and whatever before the release happens. So, yeah, the, there's a question there. I mean, my main my main concern it's it, it's always that kind of that tension between do uh, are you producing something that is you know you, a creative vision for your your, your key creative team. Uh, and then, if so, are you willing to you know, take the risk that it doesn't resonate with the community? Or are you creating something that is so community-driven that it doesn't have much value beyond being a piece of entertainment? The, the industry as a whole, this is not just CoE. the industry as a whole is in this really tough spot where there is that expectation where the fans are meant to be driving everything. But the, without shitting too much on the fans... The reality is most most people don't have a clue (laughs) most people don't have a clue about game development most people do not understand much beyond whether they're having uh, fun or not and of course it's important especially for a game like dynasty warriors that it is fun it's definitely not uh, a dry history session where you're reading a textbook Um, and it it should never be that and i think it's it's important just to, to hit that balance where where you, you obviously are open to ideas from the community, and I'm sure Koei Techno took on a lot of pages of documents, of suggestions based on Dynasty Warriors 9 and the feedback they got from that. And of course you have to do that, and they have to take that into account with the next one, which is why I don't think that Dynasty Warriors 10 will be open world, because I don't think that they Koei will think that they can you know, deliver what the fans want from an open world Dynasty Warriors with, you know, within the, the time span that Dynasty Warriors 10 will happen. But at the same time, it is really important that a game is, and this is why I love Technos so much, and I really respect them as a developer. It's really important that a game is a creative work, and a creative work needs to come from someone, and you know, or a couple of people, like a small group of people. You know, like films are, you know, a, a combination of the director, the screenwriter, the cinematographer. Games are similar. They need to be a, There needs to be some creative vision and direction in there. Otherwise, you end up with something like. Um, Fortnite which has no value whatsoever to anyone. It's just entertainment and it just doesn't have anything. It's not an artifact and Koei does try to create these artifacts. They try and create something that has some kind of value and it really resonates. Like I said, I got into Japanese history because of Samurai Warriors 3 and I've since gone to battlefields in Japan. I've read God knows how many books about Japanese history. I go to museums all the time and I kind of chased my favorite warlords around the kind of the history trails in Japan so I really got into Japanese history because of Samurai Warriors 3 it's a fun game and Koei made it to be a fun game but at the same time they tried to find that creative vision that made sure that it was also valuable and I think once again if you were to listen to somebody like uh, uh, Jim Sterling, Dynasty Warriors would lose most of that, and that's not to shit on Jim. Jim just likes to have fun with his games, and you know that he's, you know, he's a smart guy, and I have the world of respect for him. But his idea of what he wants from Dynasty Warriors, he doesn't want to be inspired by the game. He just wants to have some fun, butting, uh, you know, mashing buttons. So I feel like Koei needs to find that balance. And yes, they need to take, you know, feedback on board. Yes, they need to be open to what fans want. And I'm sure that we'll see that with Dynasty Warriors 10. I'm just concerned that they could go too far and end up kind of losing the series on me. That's what happened with, that's what, that's my read on what happened with Dead or Alive 6. So, KOE was so obsessed with becoming this game that was a serious kind of fighting game for you know, professional esports athletes and it was going to be this game that was finally going to bring Dead or Alive into the tournament scene and that was what they were trying to do they engaged with IGN of all you know media outlets to launch the thing they made sure that they were out there talking about how the game was pulling back on the fan service a little bit so that you know pe- more people can enjoy it and what happened was it lost the creative vision of Dead or Alive um, and it stopped being that really easily accessible fighting game for people who aren't necessarily good at fighting games like myself, but who enjoyed Dead or Alive because of the characters and the costumes and the nonsense and the humour and the fan service. It lost a lot of that identity because they were too busy listening, I think, to what they thought was the community for fighting games.
0: Quickly, I just want to end off with this. What do you think about this solution? I just want to raise a solution because we've We've raised a lot of problems, but at the same time, I think <laughs> it would be great to come with a with a solution. So I was thinking we've seen games, obviously, like Spirit of Sanada and, you know, the more serious titles in the Musou genre. But do you think Koei should just kind of go back with making games that are more faithful to the historical inspirations and then every couple of years maybe release another Warriors All-Stars or another like Warriors Orochi a more sort of fun kind of campy game do you think that would make more sense in that sense or to just you know put everything into like Dynasty Warriors 10 and make it like weird and wonderful and whatever because you you raised some good points and coming out of this conversation I kind of feel a little bit enlightened thanks to you Matt (laughs) yeah kohe should really do you know what their developers visions are right because these developers they know what they're doing they've been developing these games for like 20 years as producers and everything they're also fans of the game themselves because i have you know had the opportunity to speak to some of them so they are also fans as well so i I think there's always that worry of them bastardizing the games but at the same time there's always titles like warriors orochi and there's always titles like warriors all-stars which i think kohe should really do more of just to kind of show the more quirky side of Dynasty Warriors my main concern Matt and the reason why I went on this rant is because when you talk about historical accuracy the one thing that I'm worried about losing is these classic weapons that we've seen in previous games so I don't want to lose Zhang He's claws and I don't want to lose like Sun Ce's like tonfers or whatever because historically Sun Tzu used the spear
1: Oh, they, they all did. <laughs> I mean, the, the actual historical weapons they used were all very limited. Okay, two things. Firstly, on your point, I, when I say authenticity, I don't mean accuracy. There is a line there, and there's a really good story, which I'll tell quickly, which really solidified, I guess, what I think the Warriors game should do. Uh, and what I think, when they do them well, they do you know really well. There's um, the, one of the battlefields in Japan was between Shingen Takeda and Uesugi Kenshin. They were you know infamous rivals, as um you know you know I know you know. So they had this battle where Kenshin broke into the actual kind of the the command tent. He actually his army broke into the command tent, and actually he. Engaged in one on one battle with uh, Shingen Takeda. Now, Takeda wasn't ready for that. This was a surprise attack. And he only had his war fan, which he used to fend off seven attacks no three attacks from Kenshin before Kenshin was forced to retreat Um, but Kenshin's attacks were so kind of brutal that there were seven notches that were left on Takeda's war fan now Koei Tecmo took that story which is a really famous story there's actually statues at this battlefield that depict it Koei Tecmo took this story and actually made that the basis of the character's weapons so Shingen Takeda actually uses a war fan in battle which is a ridiculous weapon it's this kind of this butterfly shape which is really kind of funny and you know he does wind attacks and it's all kind of you know good stuff And then Usegi Kenshin has the most ridiculous sword, which actually has seven prongs on it. Those seven prongs represent the seven notches he left on the war fan. So, you know, you can have these ridiculous weapons while remaining authentic in some kind of of, uh, storytelling way to the history. And I feel like that is the ideal direction for Koei to go with. I don't know. It's been a while since I read Romans of Three Kingdoms. I don't know enough about, you know, the the individual characters, some of the individual characters to know, you know, how they could do that with dynasty warriors. But I know that they can do that. There is definitely opportunities there to take stories that happen to the characters, the personality, of the character, and somehow reflect that in a weapon which is still authentic to the history. So that's what I mean. I don't want I don't want everybody to walk out there with, you know, swords and spears because that would be boring. That would be very boring indeed.
0: I kind of misunderstood what you said initially when you were talking about the authenticity and, and the historical accuracy. I was just thinking that you were saying that you were this some sort of purist that was like <laughs> I want <laughs> no, dynasty warriors to be swords and spears. I was like, "No, you can't do that."
1: That, that would be very dull. Like I said, finding the stories to create the weapon out of that story is really where I think you can engage people, give them the stupid weapons that are great fun to use, but at the same time, create this kind of link to the real history that inspires people to learn. Because when I saw those statues and I read that story, I was like, whoa, my, my mind was absolutely blown and I just became that much more of a fan of Samurai Warriors and what they were doing with that as a result. So that's that. The other point... Um, you're talking about how Koei could find that balance between, you know, kinds of games that are, are more serious in tone, I guess, and then the kind of the nonsense ones. I actually think that they were on the right track with Dynasty Warriors 7 and 8, the series. You had the base game, which was Dynasty Warriors 7 or Dynasty Warriors 8, and then you had Extreme, which added a whole bunch of nonsense, like rideable elephants and, you know, tigers and, you know, it, it threw more characters in there, and it was kind of the extreme. It was the... The flowery version, for want of a better term. And then you had the Empire series, which was a little bit more serious in tone because you had the strategy elements and that kind of thing. I don't understand why Koei couldn't do that with its historical games. You have the base game, which sets everybody up for what's coming. And then you gave the Jim Sterlings of the world the Extreme series, which they can, you know, have fun with and enjoy the, the novelty of some of the more ridiculous stuff. And then people like me can enjoy the Empire stuff, which is more historical in tone. I... That's, I think that's the perfect way for them to go.
0: The reason why they're going away from that is because Extreme Legends really, how do you say, it relied on this feature called mixjoy Joy and like swapping discs and stuff. So I think because Koei is moving more into, you know, just releasing, re-releasing a game or like doing expansion packs and stuff. So I don't think for them it makes as much money as just releasing separate games anymore, if that makes sense. So I think it's just an issue of money. I think that's why they probably wouldn't do it. Because those games, Extreme Legends didn't make much money. initially like when those games were released they never used to make a lot empires would make a little bit more because they would get more serious press releases and stuff like in proper newspapers and such so yeah i think it would it just wouldn't make sense financially for them to to split it off again
1: well perhaps expansions are the way to go you have the base game dynasty warriors let's say 10 And then rather than do DLC, which tends to piss people off, especially the way Koei does DLC, rather than do DLC, build a really significant expansion into it. A little bit like they did with Warriors Orochi 4, actually. Build an extended expansion and make that your nonsense version and then add a whole bunch of nonsense into the base game and then give people the option to buy the Empire's expansion which adds the strategy stuff in. You don't have to buy it if you don't want the more serious take on Warriors and that's cool. And then you still have that base platform and that then lasts you a couple of years because then you can actually bundle it all together and make it kind of complete edition and then sell it one more time.
0: True, you could do that and I, I think that's I think we've come to an agreement there. I think that is the way for Koei to go. Koei, if you're listening, take Hi, that idea, steal it. <laughs> maybe credit Matt. Steal our ideas. They're free. And we'll be really happy with that.
1: Put DD in as a bonus character, you
0: know? No, you can't. You can't do that. That's that's yeah, not, not fair, Matt. That's not fair, Matt. You're talking about historical accuracy in this. No, no, we can't have that. Maybe in like a Warriors All-Stars, but not in our Dynasty Warriors game.
1: Actually, Warriors All Stars would be good because she could team up with Mary Rose then, and that would be just that would that would be the perfect combo. Yeah, I'm all for that. Let's do that.
0: Let's do that. Warriors All Stars two featuring Dee, Dee That'll be awesome. But that being said, Matt, thank you very much. I know uh, it's been a long day for you. This obviously makes the thank you a lot more meaningful. Thank you for actually coming on and staying awake and listening to my craziness. <laughs> thanks,
1: thanks for having me on and listening to my stupid rants. So, <laughs> it's always good fun to chat with you, and it's. Uh, I like that we have different ideas, but we can have a, a positive and healthy conversation about it. That doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen often in the internet these days.
0: No, no, it doesn't. But I think the best thing about that is when you do have separate ideas, and this is what I like about bringing different people with different ideas on on the podcast, is because you come to an agreement. Even if you don't, you bring in both points. Because we could have done this discussion, I would have been like, fuck you, man. And you could have done the same with me. But it's, it's about, you know, being civil and finding... Solutions to the problems that we both have, and I think that's the that's the reason why we do these episodes.
1: Really, we're both we're 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 both just pitching for jobs at Koi Tech, though. That's that's really what we're doing here.
0: Maybe you are, but I don't think <laughs> I don't think Koi would hire me at this point. Koi, I think after this episode, Koi either loves me or they they hate me. I'm like marmite to Koi. So um, thank you very much for coming on. Um, big thanks to our sponsors, Japan Crate. Crunchyroll, and J-List. Hopefully we'll see you next week. We might actually have another Koei-themed episode. Um, We might be doing something with a streamer called Fox. We're going to do some stuff with Warriors Orochi. Also stick around for a special fairy tale episode that we are going to be doing with Nathan from Koei Tecmo. Anyway, that being said, bye-bye!